Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Social Skills Coaching, where you learn to be more likable, more charismatic, and more productive. Today is Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. And, fair warning, you lose an hour of sleep this weekend as time change goes into effect. In reading and understanding body language, it's always important to put your observations into the proper context. And today we expand on that concept, learning to put our questions when we're seeking information into the proper context as well. From how to extract info, secrets, and truth, let's take a good look at questioning and the practices and techniques of elicitation, using compliments, complaining, playing dumb or naive, and shifting the window. Recall that the idea is to gather as much information as possible, but also as many different kinds of information so that we can find broad patterns that help us understand people more deeply. Your observations can help you refine targeted questions, and the response to those questions can then be interpreted given the context. Like a scientist, you're testing a provisional theory about the person both with observations and with many experiments, i.e. questions. Before we move on to the next section, there are a few additional things to observe and question which can help you enrich your working model and better understand the other person. One method has been called thin slicing, which is using small amounts of data to make accurate assessments. Snap decisions based on thin slicing can be surprisingly accurate. A good technique is to trust your initial unconscious reactions, intuition, but supplement this with more deliberate observations after the fact. Note the words people use in their texts and emails. For example, their use of pronouns, active or passive voice, swearing, accent, word choice, and so on. Note how they respond to your emails, which are a form of question. Also note how emotionally charged someone's responses are, and if this amount is appropriate to the context they're used in. For example, using overly negative language in seemingly benign situations can be an indicator of bad mental health or low self-esteem. Read a person's home and possessions like you would their body language and voice. Examine the closedness or openness of a home to determine sociability, for example. Notice what there is an excess of and what is conspicuously lacking in the spaces one occupies frequently. Personal possessions can make identity claims, can speak to the way a person regulates their own emotions, or can be evidence of certain past behaviors or habits. Use them to fine-tune your questions. For example, on seeing a date's home and noticing that there's nothing at all in the fridge, you can guess that the person isn't very domestic, and then you could make an offhand comment like, Oh, I'm a real home buddy. I love baking, especially. In my dreams, I have my own cooking show. Note that this isn't even really a question, but it functions as one. If the person responds by scoffing and pulling a disgusted micro-expression, consider your theory confirmed. Finally, you can also rely on people's behavior online to discern what kind of person they are, albeit some caution is necessary here. Pay attention to what kind of pictures people post 
and the emotions they convey, especially whether they're positive, neutral, or negative. Note how people respond online to questions, attention, or the lack of it. Many people behave differently online when they believe they are anonymous. Is there a big difference between this behavior and their public behavior? Elicitation If none of the above work, that's where the practice of elicitation comes in. It's a type of directed questioning that uses a specific conversational style to subtly encourage people to share and speak more. It was originally developed by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, for use during interrogations, but quickly began to be used by corporate spies to obtain confidential information from competitors. Its origins will probably give you pause. Isn't this exactly the type of sneaky, underhanded, and manipulative stuff that we want to avoid? We can see it that way, but in reality, all of these techniques can be used for both good and evil. The techniques themselves are neutral and are a result of taking a look into the human psyche. And remember, we already engage in many sneaky tactics to make people like us. They're just more socially acceptable ones, like wearing makeup or making our job positions sound more significant than they really are. Elicitation is about understanding the rules that human behavior follows and then finding clever ways to use those to your advantage. Elicitation, when done right, won't feel like an interrogation. To use elicitation, you make a statement that plays on the other person's desire to respond for a variety of reasons. The other person will feel driven to respond, even if they had no prior interest in engaging. They'll almost feel like they have no choice, or as though they're choosing to respond from their own free will, rather than as a response to anything you've said. As with so many of the other tactics discussed in this book, the art is in being subtle. You need to learn to read between the lines. A direct question will not always get an answer. Thus, it becomes important to ask indirect questions to encourage opening up. Here's an example of how elicitation works. You're trying to plan a surprise party for someone, so you need to know his schedule, his friend's contact information, and his food and drink preferences. Of course, you can't ask him for this information directly, so how might you indirectly obtain this information from him? You might say, I'm going to buy a grape soda. Do you want one? This will seem like a random, harmless question, but it can show you his drink preferences when he replies, Is there root beer? Or, Sure, grape is fine. Then you can go on to ask, my friend is looking for someone to help move. Are you available weeknights at 6 p.m.? He just might tell you his work schedule as a result. I'm usually off work at 7 p.m., so I can't help out. Sorry. For a friend's contact, you can say, Hey, is Josh's phone number 555-5695? Here, you are intentionally asking him about an incorrect number which will prompt him to correct it for you. No, his phone number is actually 555-3958. You've now obtained three essential pieces of information through indirect means. What's important here is that you've not once aroused any suspicion from your friend, who likely has no clue that you were seeking the kind of information you were. 
Your goal is to encourage people to volunteer the information on their own with the smallest and most invisible of prompts. Ellen Naylor, in her 2016 book, Win-Loss Analysis, wrote about six specific elicitation techniques to get people talking. Let's take a closer look. Recognition Human beings are social animals. We're built for spotting and connecting with people who are like us. We can't help it. This instinct makes us desire approval and acknowledgement, which you can use to effortlessly encourage people to open up. The idea is simple. People thrive when you recognize something good about them. People can't help but respond to compliments or kind observations. The more accurate and unusual your observation, the better. Mention, I love your sweater, and you'll get a story about how the wearer obtained the sweater. Mention, you're very thorough, and you'll get a story about how the person went to military school and learned to be thorough at all times. If you're smart about it, you can pay compliments in a more strategic way. If you are subtly trying to get a person to confess to their real opinion on a subject, you might say something like, I love how forthright and honest you always are. You speak your mind, and that's a rare thing these days. You may just nudge them to open up and share what they're really thinking. They may have been tight-lipped before, but any chance to enhance praise is welcome. People will usually respond according to the positive feedback they're given, demonstrating the very trait you've observed or telling you more about their values and beliefs. People have a natural desire to feel recognized and appreciated, so give them an opening to show off a little or even tell you something you might never have been told if you ask directly. Simply show appreciation to someone and compliment them. Even if you don't glean some fascinating bit of information from them, you still strengthen rapport and learn a little more about them. If you say to a woman, You're absolutely beautiful. You look like Grace Kelly. And she responds negatively. You know that she doesn't value appearances all that much. Next time around, subtly compliment her intelligence, kindness, or humor and compare the response. This is similar to recognition. People rarely turn down an opportunity to explain their accomplishments, and they rarely shy away from talking about themselves if asked in the right way. Complaining This technique works with something else fundamental to human beings, how much we love to complain. It's easy to get someone to open up by giving them something to commiserate with. Not only will you strengthen the rapport between you and keep things warm and casual, but you'll bond over a shared enemy and learn more about the other person. It's simple. You complain first, and they'll jump at the opportunity to join you. If they don't join, they might open up the other way by feeling compelled to defend what you're complaining about. Either way, you've opened them up and learned more about what they care about and who they are. You might tell someone at work, I hate these long hours without overtime pay. And he will agree and go into more detail about how he needs money from not being paid enough. This may lead him to discuss more about his home life and how many kids he has and marital issues he has related to finances. It may also lead him to defend the long hours. Either way, 
you have more information now. The key to this technique is creating a safe environment for people to brag, complain, or show other raw emotion. The exact topic of the complaint is irrelevant. Rather, it's the act of getting people to let their guard down so they can reveal these more genuine emotions. If you complain first, you create a judgment-free zone. You lower your guard a little first. They don't feel like they'll get in trouble with you. In fact, they may feel that sharing in kind is simply the polite thing to do and won't even feel as though they're sharing about themselves at all. You don't have to complain to kickstart this. Just express your own negative emotions, vulnerability, or disappointments. So, they say it's going to snow this weekend. Can you believe it? I guess I can put my flip-flops away for the time being. Oh, it's not so bad. In our house, we call it a duvet day. You know, pajamas and something trashy on TV. Don't tell me. You watch trashy TV? Oh, well, actually... In just a few exchanges, you're instantly talking about this person's private home life and their personal taste in TV. Much smoother than simply asking, So, uh, what kind of TV do you watch? Correction. The next thing that people really love, people love to be right. When you think about it, this is truly the backbone of any internet argument. It carries on because each party wants to win. It's not one of humanity's finest habits, true, but the impulse to jump in and put someone right when you know they're wrong is a powerful and irresistible one. In other words, if you want people to open up and start talking with emotion, do it by getting them a little riled about something. If you say something wrong, most people will gladly jump at the chance to correct you. If you give people an opportunity to flex their ego, most will seize it happily. They won't stop there, though. You can also expect to be given a little extra information, too. Notice what specific things the other person seems defensive and passionate about. What does it mean that they don't care if you're wrong about the spelling of a particular word, but will get out the pitchfork if you say something untrue about a mutual friend? Basically, what does their desire to correct and their correction itself tell you about their values and personality? An easy way to practice this technique is to state something you know to be obviously incorrect to see if they will step in and break the silence. See if they can resist this primal urge. The great thing about this is that the other person will certainly not feel coerced or pushed in any way. Instead, they'll feel that they are happily supplying information of their own accord. Imagine a sulky child who won't open up and tell you about what's happened at school that day, although you know something happened. The more you ask, the more they clam up. Well, that's fine. You don't have to tell me about what happened. It's just strange, because I know how much you love Tuesdays because it's P.E. class, and that's your favorite. What? It's not my favorite. I hate P.E., and I hate Mrs. Wheeler. Mrs. Wheeler? She's that awesome teacher who all the kids love, though, isn't she? No, she isn't. She's horrible. And today, she called me stupid in front of the whole class. Naivete. 
In the same vein as above, many people can't help speaking up when they believe that someone is not wrong exactly, but merely trying to understand, and it's their job to clear things up for them. This principle is used to great effect in what's commonly called the Colombo Technique, which we'll look at in a later chapter. But to be clear, this does not mean acting stupid. It simply means acting like you're on the cusp of understanding, and you'll cross that cusp with just a little more explanation from the other person. Most people love to feel right, and they love to advise, teach, or show the way. Acting naive makes people feel compelled to teach, instruct, and show off their knowledge to you. People just can't resist enlightening you, especially if you're 95% of the way there, and all people have to do is figuratively finish your sentence. I understand most of this theory, but there's just this one thing I'm unclear on. It could mean so many things. People won't be able to resist jumping in. You could frame your confusion as a subtle question or leave it open-ended so the other person feels compelled to resolve the issue for you. Use phrases like, Okay, so just to get this clear, have I got that right? Said after something that isn't wrong, just incomplete. So I know that A is the case, and I know about B. And I can see C, but I'm not seeing the next step, said when you want the other person to open up about D. Shift the window. This technique is a little more dramatic than the others and may take a bit more practice or otherwise being more familiar with the person in question. This is where you say something slightly outrageous that you know won't be answered, then Pretend like you didn't bring it up. Why does this work? Does it even work? It works because you have put something out there to dramatically change the tone of the conversation, but then quickly taken it back so it doesn't officially count anymore. Of course, you have said it, and they have heard it. The window in this case can be thought of as a conversational frame or reference point. You might be having a very serious, guarded conversation with someone, but want to shift the frame, let's say to a more informal, warm, and open one. You can do this by deliberately speaking outside of your current frame, but then backtracking a little, or simply leaving your statement or question there to do its work. You haven't actually committed a faux pas, per se, but you've shifted the boundaries of the conversation. It's a good combination that can get people to lower their guards without them even realizing it, and eventually their window of what they feel is appropriate to be shared can shift and widen. This technique is most commonly seen when people are flirting. Typically, strangers meet one another in a guarded or neutral frame, and the task of the person flirting is to gently nudge this frame to something different entirely. It may take forever if you simply wait for this to happen naturally, but if you throw in a few comments or questions that encourage a different frame, you can gently push the direction of the conversation elsewhere. What's important, though, is that you're never forcing the other person to respond to these frame shifts. Make a subtle shift, and then pull back and watch for the effect. 
If there's no active resistance or a forceful attempt to regain the previous frame, you can wait a little and try to push a little further next time. Imagine a conversation where someone is trying to subtly communicate their interest in the other person and figure out if there's any interest in return. During an ordinary conversation about something unrelated, this person may slip in a few frame-shifting comments and questions like, What a great idea. You see, that's why you're my favorite. What do you think of this shirt, though? You're a fashion-forward kind of person. Would you date someone who wore a shirt like this? Oh, don't say that. And here, I thought we had a little thing going. Subtle frame shifts can also be used by therapists who are trying to shift an avoidant client around to discussing difficult feelings, or by anyone who wants to gently broach a delicate topic, like money. I noticed we've been carefully avoiding talking about this issue with your mother. Even if the other person doesn't respond to this invitation to shift frames, they will have heard what you said and may, in time, come around. Given minutes after this comment, for example, a reluctant person may randomly tell their therapist, I know I keep avoiding talking about her. I guess I'm feeling pretty uncomfortable right now. Silence. This last technique may not seem like the others, but in many cases, it can be the most powerful of all. Here, we have to counter our own innate tendency to talk all the time and control the conversation. Instead, simply give people space to speak. Stop talking and allow a quiet moment to open up inside the conversation. When you take a step back, people will feel compelled to take a step forward and break the awkward tension. We've all been taught that it's our turn to speak in conversations when the other person stops and goes silent. If you signal that you expect someone to speak and are waiting for them, they may open their mouths to meet your expectations just to keep the dialogue going. They might not immediately tell you what you want to know, but at least they're talking again. On the other hand, some people may be holding back because they feel unsure or don't want to be judged. They may literally just need the time it takes to gather their thoughts and speak through them. If the other person is continually talking, they may feel like they never get the chance. Again, it's about being subtle and encouraging people to talk to you on their terms. You can try any of the techniques above and end them with a moan of silence to give the other person a full chance to respond. If you talk too much yourself or jump in immediately after you've made a comment or question, the other person might sense that you have an agenda and that you're trying to dominate the conversation and clam up. Instead, use silence to communicate a few things, that you're listening, non-judgmentally, that you're interested in what they have to say, and that you are, in effect, waiting for them to say it. A silence is like an invitation. It's like asking the other person, what do you want to fill this with? Notice the other person's body language. The worst thing you can do is blurt out something just as they were about to speak. One way to hold silences is not just to sit and watch the other person expectantly, but rather make it comfortable. 
Make it seem like you're happy to talk, but also okay with not talking. Communicate with your tone of voice and body language that you're not especially invested in them saying anything, but that you're there should they decide to say it. This takes the pressure off them and makes it easier for them to speak up. To conclude, asking questions and eliciting information are best practiced alongside more passive observation techniques. If you observe something interesting, think of a question to pose to help you focus in on that observation and gain more insight. Working in tandem, observation and elicitation are like the active and passive poles of the same process. When they both inform and guide one another, you will be orders of magnitude more effective at extracting information than if you'd used either one on its own. Takeaways Asking questions is an active way to deliberately elicit information from a person, but they need to be targeted and not too obvious. A few seemingly casual hypothetical questions can reveal a person's deeper values, perspectives, and goals. For example, asking what their favorite movie is, what they would save from a fire, or what animal they see themselves as. Analyze the answers to these questions cautiously and remember to place everything in context. Note how they answer, not just the content, and also not what isn't said. Use extrapolation to draw conclusions about what their answers say about them in a more general sense. Questions need to be iterative and responsive to the context and the answers you've already received. Also, think about behavior online and in emails, or read a person's possessions or home the way you would their body language. Use these observations to guide your questions. Elicitation is more deliberate still and uses a string of guiding questions to lead a person to give you precisely the information you're looking for without it seeming that you are. Developed originally by the FBI, these techniques are really just ways to carefully work around conversational and societal norms to your advantage. They're effective because they work with human beings' natural, social, and behavioral tendencies. For example, one tendency is towards recognition or social connection. Use compliments or accurate observations to foster a rapport with someone or strengthen your connection. You can also elicit information by encouraging people to complain and, in doing so, reveal something previously hidden or else tap into the human need to correct someone's errors. Used skillfully, most people cannot resist joining in on a complaining session or correcting an error you make. Playing dumb or using naivete or ignorance will also encourage someone to try to educate you and share vital information, especially since you'll seem so non-threatening. Finally, one technique is to say something quite dramatic to shift the window, and then act as though nothing has happened. Subtly, you may well elicit a revealing response. Silence can also be used effectively, since it encourages people to fill the gap with the information you want to know.
you've reached the end of another episode of Social Skills Coaching. Connect with us at newtonmg.com. And don't forget to sign up for the author's newsletter at bit.ly slash pkconsulting. See you next Tuesday.